Morning Stratford and welcome to Behind the Lights with me, Seb. And me, Jono. As always, we pay respect to the traditional custodians of the lands where you're coming from, the Gadigal people of the Aura Nation. Another busy sporting weekend, Jono. Uh, in football, it was week 12 of the Premier League, headlined by the Liverpool vs Arsenal clash, as well as obviously all the happenings at Manchester United, but we'll go into a little bit more detail later on in the pod. Um, in the Italian Serie A, Juventus defeated Lazio 2-0. Fiorentina defeated AC Milan 4-3, so that was AC's first loss of the season. Atalanta defeated Spezia 5-2. Inter Milan defeated Napoli 3-2 to inflict their first loss of the year as well, while Roma defeated Genoa 2-0. Napoli stayed top with AC, but Inter Milan now only four points uh, behind the leaders. In the Spanish La Liga, Sevilla drew with Deportiva Alavas 2-2. Atletico Madrid defeated Osasuna 1-0. Barcelona, Xavi's first game as manager, defeated Espanyol 1-0. Real Madrid defeated Granada 4-1, while Real Sociedad and Valencia played out a 0-0 draw. Real Madrid, top of the league in Spain. In the German Bundesliga, Augsburg upset Bayern Munich 2-1. Borussia Dortmund defeated Stuttgart 2-1. Uh, Bayer Leverkusen defeated Bochum 1-0. Hoffenheim defeated RB Leipzig 2-0. While well, Eintracht Frankfurt defeated Freiburg 2-0. So Bayern Munich stayed top, but Dortmund only a point back now in second. In French Ligue 1, PSG defeated Nantes 3-1. But more significantly, it was Lionel Messi scored his first goal in Ligue 1. So it's good to see Messi uh, off the mark in French football. In the Scottish League, it was the Scottish League Cup semi-finals this weekend. Celtic defeated St. Johnson 1-0, while Hibernian defeated Rangers 3-1. So it will be Celtic playing Hibernian in the Scottish League Cup final uh, in Scotland. Uh, Major League Soccer in America, was playoffs started, Jono, and Philadelphia defeated New York Red Bulls 1-0. A cracking goal um, in injury time to win that one, or extra time to win that one. Sporting KC defeated Vancouver 3-1. New York City defeated... Atlanta United 2-0, while Portland defeated Minnesota 3-1. In the A-League, the Australian League uh, kicked off as well over the weekend. Melbourne City defeated Brisbane Raw 2-1. Western Sydney and Sydney FC played out a 0-0 draw in the first derby of the year. Melbourne Victory defeated Western United 1-0. Perth Glory and Adelaide United drew 1-1. Central Coast Mariners defeated Newcastle Jets 2-1 in the F3 derby, while MacArthur and Wellington Phoenix played out a 1-1 draw. FA Women's Super League over in England. West Ham defeated Tottenham 1-0. Chelsea destroyed Birmingham City 5-0 with Australian Sam Kerr scoring a hat-trick. Arsenal defeated Manchester United 2-0, while Manchester City got back to winning ways with a 5-0 win over Aston Villa. Arsenal stayed top, followed by Chelsea and Brighton. Uh, Rugby, the Autumn Internationals continued over the weekend. Scotland defeated Japan 29 points to 20. England defeated South Africa 27 to 26. Wales defeated Australia 29-28. This is the first time an Australian team has not won a game on a European tour in 45 years, so a bit of an unwanted record there. France defeated New Zealand 40-25, or Ireland defeated Argentina 53 points to 7. In tennis was the ATP Finals Tour and the final. Alexander Zerev defeated Denny Mevdedev 6-4-6-4. Uh, in the ATP final, this was Zverev's second ATP finals victory, so a great way to end the year for him. In cricket, uh, a bit of controversial news. Australian cricket captain Tim Payne um, stepped down as Australian cricket captain only three weeks out from the start of the Ashes. Uh, Payne stepped down after an investigation to allegations of unsolicited explicit images sent to a female colleague back in 2017. Uh, the then colleague was also part of Cricket Tasmania, so some... Uh, 
Not so great news for the Australian cricket team, but hopefully uh, they'll be able to get it right uh, before the Ashes. Uh, in the Women's Big Bash League, Brisbane Heat defeated Melbourne Renegades, while the Hobart Hurricanes beat the Sydney Thunder and Perth defeated the Sydney Sixers. Perth Scorchers are now top, followed by the Melbourne Renegades and the Brisbane Heat. Uh, boxing. And Terence Crawford retained his WBO welterweight belt after a 10th round TKO victory over Sean Porter. So Terence Crawford uh, showing his dominance in that division. V8 supercars over the weekend. It was race 30 at the Sydney Motorsport Park. Uh, it was actually called off due to the inclement weather here in Sydney with Shane Van Gisbergen clinching the 2021 Supercars Championship with an unassailable 349-point lead over Red Bull Ampole Racing teammate Jamie Winkup. Uh, one race left in the series at the iconic Bathurst 1000, which always is a great weekend uh, up at Bathurst. F1, Lewis Hamilton has won the Qatar Grand Prix and he's now cut rival Max Verstappen's lead at the top of the Drivers' Championship to eight points with only two races to go, so a thrilling end to the F1 uh, series. Max Verstappen uh, finished second, or Fernando Alonso grabbed third. Jono, NFL, week 11, uh, headlined probably by the Kansas City Chiefs uh, and Dallas Cowboys game. Yeah, big game there against the Chiefs and Cowboys, and of course the Chiefs pulling off that big win, a crucial win as we're getting into the end, the latter stretch of the year. Um, every win counts as, as it always does. And then also another big loss, essentially, was actually Green Bay losing. I mean, a game-ending field goal as well, 34-31 to, to 31 against the Vikings. So that's a big loss for them. Again, this really is going to come down to the playoff standings, not necessarily them getting into the playoffs, because I'd still put them as probably one of the hot favorites to actually win the Super Bowl. And then one of the big surprises as well, as we've kind of talked about, is the Patriots slowly climbing their way up the ladder. They are now actually sitting at top of the ASC East. Um, with their win over the weekend. So somehow Bill Belichick has um, taken a, a team of pretty much, in a sense, when you look at what they used to have in stars, this is a very no-name team in comparative what they used to have, and been, been able to do something with a young quarterback as well. So it's been really impressive. Are they going to be able to sustain this as well going into the playoffs? That will be the true test. And if they can actually make a little bit playoff run as well. He's showing his real quality as a coach. Yeah. yeah, definitely. I mean, everybody kind of wrote him off as we saw Tom Brady as well leave, and then Tom Brady have all the success and Belichick struggle a bit. But it is showing that, you know, he is actually a great coach, regardless of your views on him. He's proven that he's he's definitely a great coach, and, and in particular, as I said, taking this group that he currently has of a lot of young talent, rough talent as well, and bringing them into something where, you know what, whether they finish first or not, I think it's going to be a successful season for them, which is great to see. In the NBA, it was continuing again over the weekend. Um, the Warriors and Steph Curry, Jono, continue their hot form while the uh, Lakers and Bucks' early season struggles are continuing. Yeah, I guess just even starting with the Lakers and Bucks, as we stand right now, um, they're both sitting in, in the ninth place um, of the respective East and West, which is, um, it, as you said, it's very still early days, but it, you just you don't want to miss any of these early games in terms of you know your missed opportunities. Um, and then, you know, Brooklyn really taking shape now, leading the East. And as you said as well, Golden State has just continued their run at the top. Steph Curry seems to be on another level at the moment. Um, and it'll be interesting to see, as we said, as we inch closer to around that Christmas period when Clay Thompson should be set to returning in and around that Christmas time, New Year time, how that starts to um, affect the Warriors because they are just on all another level right now. And they're just able to, it's in my eyes, easily 
go through all the competition. So it's great to see. But again, the Lakers and the Bucks really need to click it into next gear because the early season struggles, it, it's going to affect them later in the year. Might not be you know necessary, as I said, might not make them out of playoffs. But again, seeding is very, very important. So it'll be interesting to see them starting um, to start clicking. And, and maybe they just need this um, kind of Christmas period to reset as well. It was a huge statement win for the Golden State Warriors when they defeated uh, Kevin Durant yeah, and exactly. the Brooklyn Nets. So they're really showing their uh, championship credentials. Um, and they're flying at the moment. If Steph Curry keeps up this form, they'll certainly be there at the uh, pointy end of the NBA Finals, I'm sure. Yeah, definitely. I mean, you can't put it past them right now. Um, they're back to it, 100%. They're back to the winning days, it seems like. So I'd love to see them make a deep playoff run as well when we get to that point. As always, many intriguing storylines coming out of the NBA. Well, Jono, one of the big sports stories uh, happened off the field uh, this week in, in tennis. Uh, to do with Chinese tennis star Peng Shui's whereabouts. So um, it all happened after she accused former Vice Premier Zhang Gaoli of coercing her into sex at his home. This was according to screenshots of a since-deleted social media post uh, dated November 2nd. Um, since that post got deleted, um, her whereabouts have been, her public whereabouts have been a little bit unknown with China facing pressure from both the United Nations as well as the head of the Women's Tennis Association, Steve Simon, um, who was threatened to pull out tournaments or pull tournaments out of China if Peng is not fully accounted for. Uh, recently, she has, a video has surfaced of her talking to an IOC, so uh, International Olympic Committee uh, member, um, saying that she is safe and she is at home. But Jono, I guess this whole um, issue of China and, and political notions, you know, coming into sport. Um, what do you think of obviously this situation? Obviously, the the accusations are very serious, um, but also how particularly the WTA and Steve Simon have acted in terms of threatening to pull out of um, tournaments and also stating that that the loss of millions of dollars. Um, is not his concern right now. It, his concern is obviously her well-being and, and making sure she is safe. Yeah, I mean, the the reaction from the tennis world and essentially the world as, in general is exactly what you need to see is, you know, getting around uh, and making sure they show some sign of support and making sure that there is answers for the way that this has kind of gone out. And, you know, even just starting you know, any any time that there is um, sexual assault allegations or anything like that, that needs to be taken serious and and a thorough investigation needs to happen. And the way that China has handled this is, is just wrong in so many ways. And it's I'm very happy to see not only tennis organizations, and I said across globally as well, um, it even goes into the Olympics as well about pulling out of the Winter Olympics, but all different tennis stars and all athletes across the world. We saw Serena Williams coming yep. out. That this is exactly what you need is these these this type of support to make sure that you know you get the answers that are needed and as I said the situation as a whole to essentially you know now we're seeing some sort of communication and everything but it's still not as solid as it needs to be and again this shouldn't overshadow the fact that there needs to be an investigation that takes place too but you know it, it's it's just the the way that this all went down is just wrong in so many levels and it's not how something as serious as sexual assault should be dealt with now the chinese tennis association and gun state media have come out and, and constantly stated that peng is safe and um there was an email that was apparently sent to simon but uh and the wta but obviously he questioned the veracity of that email in regards to the way it was written and, and sort of uh, the legit legitimacy of it 
You did raise that uh, the issue of the 2022 Winter Olympics, which are set to start in Beijing in less than three months. Um, there has been some calls for, for nations to start putting pressure on China and threaten to pull out. We've had actually Joe Biden. Um, he's mulling over a diplomatic uh, boycott if, if this situation is not resolved. What do you think of that in regards to nations possibly pulling out of the 2022 Winter Olympics? And what sort of statement do you think that would make? Yeah, I think that's that's possibly exactly what needs to happen. Because in particular, when you look at China and the history of individuals in, let's say, you know, the, the spotlight, um, who have spoken up against high officials and everything within their within their political system, um, you know, this isn't the first case in which they go missing for a couple days, months, or in general. So this is not something that's necessarily out of the total ordinary. So there needs to be a full, you know, full support in terms of these nations of wanting to back out of this. Because when you, you know, you're, you're going to that nation to have the Olympics and it's a celebration of all and everything like that. But how are you supposed to celebrate things in these sports and these athletes and everything when something something like that is happening in, their, in the backyard of where you're actually having these games? So I think it's a bold statement and I think that they should really look at it and consider it because things need to change what's happening in China. And maybe this is the only way for them to really recognize that, that, you know, tennis to pull out their tournaments, to pull out from the Olympics as well. The loss in revenue, the loss in, in viewership, the loss of that ooh and all of China and everything that it brings as well. Maybe this is what needs to kind of kickstart that for them to recognize, well, when they, when they try and do those actions of, you know, someone goes missing or silencing them, um, that there are repercussions for that. Well, China's human rights record has always raised concern. Uh, and after the 2008 Beijing Olympics, Summer Olympics, there were promises made from China that they would improve on these human rights records. That has not happened up to now. Yeah. How, I guess, how um, concerned or sort of how taken aback have you been in terms of the IOC not really being too vocal on this situation? They've sort of backed off this situation and, and not really put any pressure on China in regards to um, confining what has happened to uh, Peng. How how much responsibility do you think they need to take as well in regards to making sure that their product is is in countries that are um, following the Olympic ethos? Yeah, hundred percent. I think I think that they, again, sometimes you know being silent is is just you know you're you're brushing over the problem and your silence is is a problem in its own. And so by them being silent in in this in this matter is is ridiculous in my eyes that they need to really speak up and make sure that they have firm statements as well and stay true to their words when they do make these bold statements about what's going on because these types of issues need to be looked at you know it's not just what happens on the field it's also what happens off the field and behind the scenes as well and if we just enable these countries as well to get away with certain things then it's just going to lead to a domino effect as well um, and as you said the the olympics is something that you know you look back at the history of the olympics and the greats and, and everything that comes with it and it's something that needs to be um you know, brings people together, and no matter where they come from, it doesn't. It shouldn't be where it's held in these locations. that have so many problems in their backyard um, that need to be fixed before they can host such a celebration event. Well, first and foremost, we hope Peng Shui is safe, uh, and we hope to see her back on the tennis courts uh, in the not too distant future. Um, and it will be interesting to see how China's relationship with the WTA is moving forward after yep. this situation. Um, and I think it's it's been a really good stance by the WTA, and especially <coughs> um, 
from this, from Steve Simon to, to stand up to the Chinese government media, um, tennis association, and sort of threaten them with, with pulling um, out of China in regards to tournaments held over there. Um, as I said, hopefully there is a positive ending to all of this, and then hopefully um, it moves along in a positive positive manner and Peng Shui is, found, is safe. Um, and as I said, we hope to see her back on the tennis courts in the not-so-distant future. Well, Jono, we'll move on to the English Premier League's Week 12. Uh, before we get into the biggest story that has dominated the last 24 hours, um, a few new management managerial starters this week. So we saw Dean Smith um, obviously guiding Norwich, while Steven Gerrard made his much-anticipated dugout debut with Aston Villa. Um, unfortunately, Eddie Howe had to pull out of Newcastle's game with COVID, so hopefully we'll see him um, in the dugout soon. But uh, both uh, Dean Smith and Stevie G uh, getting started with wins, so great confidence boosting for them and also their squads and the supporters of both Norwich and Villa. Yeah, I mean, you never want to spoil that first game for, for a new manager, especially taking over... You know, when the season's already started, it's a lot harder than um, than starting, you know, prior to the season's kickoff. So great to see some big wins. And then hopefully we continue to see some success out of all the new managers across the Premier League. Um, because that's what you want is you want those new managers coming and turn the club around. They, they wouldn't be there unless um, they really need to turn that team around. So great to see that first kind of kickoff win for all of them. Also a big win for Norwich. So that's their second yeah. win of the year. Pulls them a little bit closer to getting out of that relegation uh, zone, but Newcastle, thrilling game, 3-3 three, three yeah, against yeah, Brentford, definitely. but still looking for that first win of the year. So Eddie Howe's got a massive yeah. job on his hands with Newcastle. Uh, the other main point or big point, big game, I guess, was Arsenal playing uh, Liverpool at Anfield. And man, Arsenal were brought back down to earth. I think this game really emphasised the gap that still exists between yeah. both these clubs. When Liverpool want to turn it on, there's not too many teams that can keep up with them. And they were uh, irresistible in this game, Jono, beating Arsenal 4-0. Yeah, this um, this was just showing their true attacking force as well as their you know structure as well. Um, but yeah, it was, a, it was a cracking game if you're a Liverpool fan, not so much if you're an Arsenal fan. I mean, look... You go through the first 30 minutes of the game, if you're an Arsenal fan, you're thinking, oh, maybe we can just hang on to this. And But as time goes on, it shows that, you know what, Liverpool were in the driver's seat from, from the get-go, um, and they just took it to another level. So congrats to Liverpool, but Arsenal just shows that, you know what, we've been giving a lot of praise, and I do think that the credit's due, but they still have a long way to go to be in that top flight. And to be fair to Arsenal and Arteta, uh, they will look at that game. Obviously, it was a bit of a free hit almost for them. Not too many people expected them to go to Anfield and get a result. Um, and they did. They didn't help themselves with some individual errors, um, which obviously Liverpool capitalised on. But I still, um, from what we've seen, it seems like Arsenal are on the right track under Arteta. You can see more of a structure. He seems to have settled on a starting eleven yep. um, that he's happy with. So um, it's important they bounce back next week and, and continue the good, the recent good form before obviously uh, this game over the weekend. I guess John had the biggest story though over the last twenty four hours. Um, is Manchester United and the sacking of Ola Gunnar Solskjaer. Let's start the game first. So against Watford, um, obviously Watford with Ranieri in the dugout now, uh, fighting uh, to get away from that relegation zone, um, defeated Manchester United 4-1. Jono, before we go into the whole Solskjaer sacking, the game on the face of it, what did you make of the game? And, and did you expect United to be so poor, especially in that first half? Yeah, um, I mean, no, you, you don't expect that. And again, I go back to the players they actually have on the field are, are the top tier players. You know, when you look across Europe, 
Um, you can make an argument for all of them to be in pretty much any of those top teams. You know, you really could argue for that. Um, so to have such a caliber of players and then produce that lackluster performance once again, it's just it's just sad, disheartening as any type of fan. Um, even as a neutral, you know, it's getting to a point where, you know, you just, you look at it and you know, you're saying, what what is going on there? Um, and they're just, hopefully now this is going to be the turning point, but what they produce on the field, it's just, there's there's nothing going forward. There's mistakes in the back. Um, you know, De Gea gets left, left high and dry. And you know what? He's not necessarily where he used to be as well. He, he does a great job, I think, still on an individual level, but... He's still not, you know, that De Gea of a couple seasons ago who kept pretty much them in the top there. Um, but it's just, it just keeps on going down and down, downhill from here. <laughs> yeah, what really struck me was, especially in that first half, the lack of energy. Um, Watford, they're not a great football team. And Manchester United should be going to Watford and losing four goals like that. But Watford had energy. They And they saw United that they could go out and press and they weren't scared of United. That's what I think really stood out for me um, throughout the game. The other thing that stood out was David De Gea's comments afterwards, which were so almost... You don't expect players to be so truthful, but he almost... He was saying that, you know, the United players have no idea what to do with the ball and in terms of their defensive shape, just no idea how to defend properly, which unfortunately goes back to the manager because he's the one that sends those the players out to, to play within a structure. But as we've said all year and um, under Ollie's reign, United lacking any sort of structure or identity. There is no real clear way of playing. Um, players are lost out there. It doesn't yep. matter how much talent you have on that field. Um, and Watford just took advantage of it. They, they, they just played to Manchester United's uh, weaknesses and also Manchester United's lack of confidence Harry Maguire is oh. is having an absolute shocker. Those those two cards that he picked up just emphasise where his game is at at the moment. I think that even just summed up United as a whole right now. Is you looked at his in particular that second yellow that he got that led to the red, and you just said, "What are you doing?" And he's the captain, what, and it's just, "What are you doing?" And that's exactly what when you look at Manchester United right now, it's it that goes to everybody. What are you doing? And that just summed up what's been their performances as of recent. And that was just that that is just absolutely ridiculous to be having that captain's armband be technically worth the amount that you are um, in terms of his value um, financially is just ridiculous to to do something like that. And the other thing was looking at Ollie on the sideline, he just seemed bereft of ideas. Yep. Uh, he seemed a a gone man, a dead man walking at the end of the game. Um, and obviously the news filtered down after that there was emergency meetings happening and then not too long after the news that Ollie had been or they had parted ways uh, Manchester United and Ollie had parted ways Jono though the decision of sacking Ole Gunnar Solskjaer is probably was inevitable it's probably come too late this could have been done weeks ago maybe even after that Liverpool debacle the board kept holding on Um, who knows why they obviously didn't want to sack Ollie. The, the plan wasn't to sack him, but it got to such a point after the Watford game, you can't, you couldn't ignore that anymore. Don't know though, where does this leave United at the moment in terms of a club? So they've named Michael Carrick as the, he'll take over for the next few games and then they want to name an interim manager to see out the rest of the year and then hopefully a permanent manager next year. Even just that whole 
cycle that they're thinking of in terms of the way they're thinking shows a club that has real no idea of what they want to do and really what direction they want to head. Yeah, you just yeah, you got to be careful here because it's not just, you know, you're not now just needing to produce good results on the field, but again, as we've talked about before, the Manchester United name as a whole is no longer feared. And you can't necessarily, you know, just yes, maybe their 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 name a bit in terms of, you know, what it carries across the world and in, in recognition. But as a club, you know, it's not guaranteed spot, you know, in that top four. You're not guaranteed champions. You're not even guaranteed right now in Europa, um, the way that some other teams are playing in the Premier League. So you have to be really really careful here because, you know, you're playing for your season now at this point. This little bad stretch has just bumped them further and further down the table. And now you have to be extremely careful because you need to start developing a style. It can't be like this where you know everybody's going out individually. And as De Gea said, not knowing what to do with the ball, not knowing where to go, not knowing the shape. You need to start instituting some principles. You really need to take care of this team and, and elevate them back to where they are. And again, with the caliber of players that they have, they should not be struggling this much. But you could tell it's that clear lack of leadership. So you not bring in that clear direction right away can just cause more problems to happen and your season's just out it's it's done and dusted then at that point so they have to be very very careful on how they're going to be handling this and who they appoint along the way if they're going to be going about it that way in terms of situation united have reached this is this shouldn't be a surprise though to to united fans or football fans alike solskjaer when he was giving the interim manager role after Mourinho in that first year that's when they should have replaced him at the end of that year. That's when United should have had a plan and they should have already had managers that they were looking for and gone after. Yep. Solskjaer did an amazing job that first part, won yep. nine, go- nine games on the straight, um, got the players enjoying football again, whatever else needed to be done in terms of the culture of that team. But Solskjaer was never, was never equipped to be the Manchester United manager, not in a million years. I don't care what you say. It was the manager of Mulder and Cardiff. And then you're going to give him the arguably one of the biggest, or if not the biggest football club, biggest job in the world, and you expect him to what win trophies. Yeah. But what I think's what I think United reek of at the moment is mediocrity. I've talked about this before, and this is from the top down. Yes, the Glazers are at the top. They're the owners, so they're the businessmen. Forget the Glazers. It's the people in behind the Glazers in regards to your Ed Woodwards, the coaching staff around. Uh, around Ole Gunnar Solskjaer are not good enough. They're not the best of the best. And United should have the best of the best. When you look at the clubs United United think they should be competing with your Manchester Cities, your Chelsea's, your Liverpool's um, on a global stage, your Real Madrid, your Barcelona's, etc., etc. They're not even in the same country as those. They're not even in the same code as those guys. They're, they're in a different league altogether. Um, and the mediocrity has... Continue. Yes, we finished second last year. United finished second under Oli last year. But again, as I've, as I've emphasized last year, Manchester City sailed away with the league last year. Liverpool had half a defense out and Chelsea sacked a manager. Yeah. So how good was that second? And then they lost, And then to, to lose a Europa League final against Villarreal, a team that didn't even finish inside the Spain's top four, that is just all damning evidence that, that Solskjaer is not good enough. And then this year, I think it's really all come to a head. Um, obviously, the big spending during the off season. He oh, spent yeah. nearly over, spent almost 378 million euros over his time. So money's been spent, and the club seems worse off. 
It yeah. seems like people will say, oh, I heard Gary Neville come out and say that he'd, he'd in, Solskjaer had installed the soul of Manchester United again. What is the soul of Manchester United? The soul of Manchester United is winning, and they haven't been winning. That is what the soul of Manchester United is. That is what Ferguson installed in his time as Manchester United manager. And ever since he left the post, the club has been at shambles. It's gone all over the place. It, it has had no real direction. It, it's It's been reactive signings, reactive managers. Um, there's no plan. There's no clear structure. Um, and as I said, this just comes down from a mediocrity from the top and the people that are making decisions. It's not all Ole Gunnar Solskjaer's fault. Who put Ole in that position? Who gave Ole a new three-year deal extension? Who made those ludicrous decisions? Now they've, there's talk that they're giving Mike Phelan, who's one of the helping assistant coaches, they're giving him another year. Who's making these decisions? It, it's just absolutely ludicrous, and it, it reeks of a club that has got no idea what they are doing. Absolutely no idea. You have Ed Woodward coming out early in the week and saying Manchester United posted 16% profits. Great, that's great. They're doing all this amazing marketing, all the businesses, all that business is there, but the product is football, what is happening on the field. It's not about what's happening off the field. That all takes care of itself if the football is healthy and the football team is doing well and it's winning trophies and competing. And Manchester United are so far off it, it's not even funny. Um, The decision had to be made, but now, as you said, that next decision is crucial. But then you look at it. Who are they going to get? All the top managers have been snapped up. How they could have let Antonio Conte go a few weeks ago is just unforgivable. Don't give me that rubbish that he's the same as Jose Mourinho. If that is what truly scared them off, then they really have no idea because Jose Mourinho and Antonio Conte are not the same people. And I'm pretty sure they resonate exactly what Ferguson was. Was Ferguson not a person that he did it his way? He wasn't told how to do it. He ran it with an iron fist. So the person that they keep reflecting back to in terms of we want to get back to those years of Ferguson playing that attacking type of football, that's exactly the same as what Antonio Conte is. Jose Mourinho was on the way down when Manchester United signed. There wasn't the greatest manager in the world when they signed him. He'd been sacked by Chelsea. He'd been sacked by Real Madrid. Antonio Conte is in a different league at the moment. So I think that, first and foremost, was a massive mistake. And then the decision-making. So if if Oli had won against Watford, would he have been kept in the job then? Yeah, yeah. So it's it's based on what are you waiting for? It's based point? on this stressful. It's based on this. The decision making is based on crisis decision making. Yeah. That's what it is. It's not planning decision making. It's crisis decision. We've reached a point where we have nowhere else else. We have to sack him. There's nowhere else to go. Um, and it's just shocking. It's really shocking. As a United fan, I'm completely disillusioned with the club at the moment. It is. It's going backwards. I don't care how many millions of dollars they they pour into players. It's about buying the right players. It's about about having the right manager, about having the right football director, about having the right coaching team around that football manager. That's what Ferguson always did so well is, yes, he wasn't as tactically astute as some of the other great coaches, but he always made sure his number one man was could tactically help the team. And then Ferguson was an unbelievable player manager, yeah. which again, I question Oli. People say he's a great, nice guy, which he is. It's not a personal tact on him, but the way Donny van der Beek's being treated, the way Jaden Sancho's coming for huge money, being played in the wrong position, seems bereft of confidence. I have to question the way Oli treats that squad and values every player. You see all the top managers, you see the way Tuchel rotates his squad. Every player in that squad's happy, and they have top players. 
They're a lot stronger squad than Manchester United. Um, so I think it's a really sad moment um, in United history and a crucial moment in United history because if this continues the way it is, it could be another 10 years before United even um, attempt to try and be back at the at the table with the big boys. In terms of managers, Jono, there's been some names tossed around. Zidane, uh, possibly Pochettino, Van T- uh, Ten Hag from Ajax. Yep. If you're in that position, who would you want to bring in um, to Manchester United's hot seat? Yeah, that's a, that's definitely a hard one. But but again, I think what United have lacked in terms of the management, and as you said as well, in particular, you know, you look at the last couple of years in terms of who they've had as a manager. Um, Jose Mourinho probably was the biggest name, but he wasn't at his peak at all. So. We talk about Manchester United in the past that you know you want to draw those players in and everything. So I do think that you have to get a coach who's currently at, let's say, arguably you know the top of his game, as well as players want to play for him. So look, if Zidane did want to take the role, I think you know of course out of that whole list, he's probably the most high-profile one. The he's essentially a serial winner in what he was able to do in Real Madrid, and I think the big difference with him and all the other managers on that list as well is that. Clearly, he's able to manage people because the personalities that they had on those Real Madrid teams and those egos that they must have had as well, and he was able to manage it all and produce something really, really well. I know, you know, at the end with Bale and his second little stint with everybody, it wasn't as good and everything, but think about how he was able to manage all those egos across those years and have all that success in Champions League and everything. So real big credit to Zidane for being such a people manager. Is that That's what it really shows with me. So I think that's what United need right now because everybody seems very disconnected. He needs to start, you know, you need to start playing as a team, as a unit, and you need to start drawing in that big talent to keep on coming in for those years to come as well. So you're going to need a high-profile manager. But um, look, is he going to want to take it? I don't know. I really don't know if he's going to want such a big project because that's what it is right now. It's a project. Um, so... Who's going to really want to undertake that? And 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 you know what? Every single move you do is going to be under such, um, you know, everyone's going to looking looking at every little detail as well. So, uh, it's definitely going to be a tough one to I think now at this point land a coach. And as you said, Ollie was an interim coach. He was an interim solution. He shouldn't have been the long term solution. And just because you're on a little bit of a win streak doesn't automatically mean yep this guy's going to be the long term solution. So if they would have done this you know a year or so ago when he first started, that was the right time to do it. But now it's just a whole nother level of a project to take on. I'm um, in a huge undertaking for whoever is going to get that job. But oof, it's 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 going to be um, an interesting one to see who who takes on the challenge because that's what it is. It's a challenge. The only reservation about Zidane would be reports state that he's not interested in the job. The, yeah, yeah. There is the language barrier. He doesn't talk English. He's he's Spanish talking, and he's happy in Madrid. And the only other thing about Zidane's coaching style is this group of players, unlike the group he took on at Real Madrid, this group of players need coaching. It's not mm-hmm. just about keeping those players happy. Yep, there yep, is no structure. Yep. When he took over at Real Madrid, you had Ronaldo at, a, at his pomp. You had yep. Ramos. You had these naturally born leaders in that squad and there still was a style. Modric, you had Cruz. Look at the players that you had in that midfield. This Manchester United team is not that crop of players and where are the leaders in this Manchester United team? Harry Maguire is your captain. And he is in probably the poorest form of his career yeah. right now. So I, that's the only reservation I have about Zidane. Possibly he could still do it. He'll obviously bring a presence to that mm. group and a 
and a respect because of his playing days. And obviously, he has won Champions Leagues as a manager as well in La Liga's. Um, I guess the other one that's been is Brendan Rodgers is being rumoured whether or not he comes in from Leicester at the end of the year. Obviously, they'll have to pay a huge amount yeah. of money to get him out of that contract. Um, but as you said, what happens if the interim manager that does come in, he does really well? Are you then going to go sign him on another deal? Yeah, yeah. So they've got themselves in a real mess because of a lack of d- clear decision-making which is just unforgivable at this level at a club like Manchester United, how you can have people in positions, such important positions, and the inability to make big decisions and the right decisions. This is not just happening with Salt. This is a continuation of years of poor, poor management. So this story will keep rolling on. It's going to be very interesting to see who they do bring in on an interim, on an interim basis till the end of the year. Before that, they've got a massive Champions League game Wednesday morning, Australian time, against Villarreal in Spain. So Michael Carrick will be in the dugout for that. Um, Let's see if they can bounce back, because if they lose that, then possibly the Champions League for this year is over as well. Um, And then it doesn't get any easier. They've got Chelsea away next week. So, um, as always, plenty of storylines around Manchester United, and, and let's just see what happens over the next few weeks and see what direction this club this seemingly rudderless club um, wants to take. Yeah, it's it's um, going to hundred percent be something to keep an eye on. Not just who they choose managerially, the direction they go in, but also the way that they perform in these next couple games. Because as we said, the Premier League is slowly slipping out away from them. The struggles in Champions League as well are not. It's it's not going to make anything easier. And then again, that, that this will have re- repercussions going into next year. How are you going to attract that talent if you're not in Champions League? Um, so it'll be interesting one to keep an eye on as we keep progressing. Well, as always, Jono, especially for me now, we'll end on a bit of a lighter note. So uh, five quick questions. I think you've got them for me this week. Yep, you ready? Let's go. All right. With, um, as we said, a lot of new managers in the Premier League. Um, one of the big names that you were talking about is Antonio Conte. Now with Tottenham having, them, uh, having him, will they make the top four? I think their chances improve Remarkably, And when you look at that bottom four fight, United all over the place. West Ham, uh, they're doing really well, but squad depth will be tested there. I think they're as good a chance as any of those probably group of maybe three or four teams battling out for that fourth spot. Yeah, I think now they're, they're going to be in that ranks of those couple teams, as you said, kind of in that last that last little fourth and very, very critical spot. Um, we touched on everything that's happening in the, in the tennis world and what's happening over in China. So should football also learn from this in terms of the dealings and what happens in each country? So, for example, with the World Cup. So should there be a bit of a boycott from all the footballing nations from the Qatar World Cup for all their off-the-field problems? I think it's something football can certainly improve on, and I think FIFA could take a leaf out of the way w- the WTA has handled this situation in terms of threatening to boycott. But I just think football at the moment, it's so big and it's so business-driven that um, I think what it's going to take is players... Yeah, standing up and threatening to boycott, and possibly countries. We've seen Germany, we've seen some countries come out with t-shirts in support yeah. of the workers over in Qatar. But if a country or players were brave enough to completely boycott, I think that would be could be a potential turning point. Yeah, we. I mean, we've seen it um, historically as well on the women's side, in particular for pay gaps and everything as well. Players are the ones who are stepping up. So as you said, yeah, if the players are brave enough to take that big leap, um, I think it'd be great as well to see that. Uh, moving on. So as we've talked about in the NBA. The Lakers and the Bucks are very much struggling right now. Still very, very early days. But if you had to pick one to not make the playoffs right now, 
who would you choose? Just based on current form, which one would you not would would not be making the playoffs? It'll kill me, but I'd probably say the Lakers. Yeah, I think the Bucks. Um, I think the Bucks will will make the playoffs. If I had, if I had to, choose. I th- I still think both will do enough. Um, but if I had to choose, I think the Lakers would be the one that would miss out in the West. Yeah, they're still a little bit all over the place. And again, in the West, it. it not that the East teams aren't great, but the West just seems to be that much harder as well in terms of securing your playoff spot and the competition on every. We'll look at the basis. rise of the Golden State, yeah. Golden State this year as well, back exactly. up to where they belong. Um, switching over to the A League opening games this weekend, um, who is that one team that flew in under the radar from the start of the season that just based on this first week's performance you were very impressed by? I actually think Melbourne victory. Obviously, wooden spooners from last year. Tony yeah. Popovich coming in as the manager. They've had nine. About nine new recruits coming has changed that whole defence. So I think victories uh, win over Western United was the most impressive of the weekend, and I think they uh, will certainly have a lot better year under Popovich. Okay, very nice. Now Thanksgiving is around the corner in America. So what is one quick sporting moment you can think of that you're most thankful for? It could be a big time play, big time catch, sacking oh. of a manager. What's off the top of your head? What's one big sporting moment that you are thankful for? One big sporting moment that I am thankful for. Actually, funny this, Ole Gunnar Solskjaer's winner against Bayern Munich <laughs> in the 99 Champions League. Oh, did you that look was, at that? That was my first uh, first watching the Champions League final. And uh, yeah, that's, that's a moment that still sticks out in regards to uh, my sport watching over all the years. But funny that, that it's uh, Ole, but he's, uh, he'll always be a legend of a player. Um, he just didn't make such a good manager, that's all. So much joy, yet so much heartbreak. Unbelievable, I know. Well, that brings the end of another episode of Behind the Lights with me, Seb. And me, Jonna. As always, thank you for your support, and good night.